You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you're a 415er, you're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415, hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. Welcome into another edition of the 415ers podcast. As always, with 95.7 The Game on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Coming at you twice a week here in the offseason. That's Mark Grandy. I'm Evan Giddings. Please download the Odyssey app. Rate us. Subscribe to us there. Also, check us out on YouTube. Mark, we're going to get into a couple of interesting things. First, uh, some of the, the ways that the 49ers use their money. There was an article written in The Athletic. Uh, as we're recording this on Monday, July 3rd, very happy July 4th, by the way, yes. for those of you listening on Tuesday. Uh, we're also going to be getting into kind of a, I would call it a hot take from an ESPN personality, as well as what might make a special season for San Francisco. But we, before we do all that, what's up, man? What's going on? How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Yeah, we're recording this Monday evening. I just got off uh, my show that I was working here at 95.7 The Game. I know you were doing the morning show today. I wanted to ask you before we get into some 49ers stuff, um, with the 4th of July, and as you said, happy 4th of July to everyone, happy Independence Day. With the 4th of July this year falling on a Tuesday, I don't know how you feel. It wouldn't just make a lot more sense to me if, Monday, regardless of it being the 4th of July or not, was the national holiday. So everyone could just have a a three-day weekend as opposed to a normal weekend, one-day work. I know a lot of people are taking Monday and Tuesday off, but for you and I, we're working today on Monday, but then have Tuesday off. It's kind of weird. I would prefer actually being at work on the 4th of July if that meant I got a three-day weekend out of it, you know? No, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, it's going to be even tougher next year because I believe July 4th falls on a Wednesday. So yeah, uh, I wouldn't weird. have an issue necessarily with this rule. Um, but, you know, July 4th is, look, it's the day of independence. But if we're going to be literal about it, Mark, uh, the Continental Congress, as I'm sure you and all people out there well know, <laughs> declared its freedom from Great Britain on July 2nd in mm. 1776, not actually the 4th. So it would be a continuously moving day regardless. But, you know, seeing as how it tends to fall this year on a Tuesday, if we just bump it back to Sunday and then Monday, maybe get a day off there, yep. I wouldn't be too mad, especially if I don't have to wake up at 4 a.m. like I did earlier today to do that morning show, which I <laughs> loved. But if I didn't have to do that, I'd be OK with it, you know? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I it just now, you know, I just got off of work recording the podcast, get it uploaded, get it scheduled to come out early Tuesday morning. I wake up for my day off on Tuesday and it feels like a Sunday all over again. I didn't really have like, you know, the day off to to kind of enjoy, even though, again, Tuesday is the day off. Whatever. I know it's off topic. I just wanted to start it with that because it's, it's in my mind right now as we record this that it's weird. It's like the end of a week, but it's also like a, a Saturday night, I guess, for me right now. But whatever. Let's just get to the 49ers, I guess. Well, if it was, uh, you know, a theoretical Saturday night, tomorrow would be football Sunday. So it Mm. is appropriate that we are dropping this episode the day after your hypothetical Saturday so that people can listen to the 49ers. Because, Mark, we got we got some things to get into. And uh, David Lombardi of The Athletic kind of drew out the way that the 49ers spend their money, the economics of the roster 
as it pertains to the 2023 team. And I, I thought there were some interesting breakdowns. It's not anything really uh, with an angle. It's kind of just information. But but before we kind of get into the nitty gritty with the, the millions of dollars, the 49ers will be divvying out this year. What kind of uh, stood out to you when you saw the, the pie chart of the way the 49ers use their dough? Well, yeah, I suggest if you don't have an athletic subscription, uh, check it out. I think David Lombardi also tweeted out the pie chart that you're referencing. It, it's really interesting, but it gets even more interesting when you consider um, the rest, what the rest of the league is doing. And obviously, if you were just were to ask generally, where do you think the league is spending most of their money? Each individual team, where, who do you think, what position groups are getting paid the most? Now, obviously, a lot of this has to do with um, how many people are in that position. So, for example, offensive line, defensive line, you're going to have a, a big chunk of your money going to those guys because you start five offensive linemen, you generally start four defensive linemen, and you have a lot of reserve offensive and defensive linemen as well. So that's just naturally going to be a big chunk. If you just get rid of, not not get rid of them, but, but if you consider the fact that Part of the reason why those position groups make up so much of the money, and for example, the 49ers, over a quarter of their money is being paid to defensive linemen, almost 28%. Offensive line, despite the fact that it's a relatively inexperienced group, over 18% of the 49ers' money is going to the offensive line. So it holds true for the 49ers. But when you are to consider, kind of like per capita, per person, um, you would expect quarterback, at least in my mind, maybe you feel differently, Evan, but I would expect generally teams around the league, considering where we are as a football league right now, we're so in love with the passing game. I personally would expect a ton of money to be spent on quarterbacks and wide receivers. That just seems like where the game is kind of evolving to and specifically evolving away from the running backs. But when you really dive into the numbers of the San Francisco 49ers, it really doesn't fit that description. The 49ers are paying $16.3 million in total to four different quarterbacks. That's middle of the pack, 14th in the NFL. You look at their running backs, uh, $15.3 million to running backs. That's fifth most in the NFL. And before Christian McCaffrey's restructure earlier, they had the highest cap hit of any running back unit in the NFL. So the 49ers are, sp are spending more, essentially, than anyone else at a running back and middle of the pack as, uh, you know, for their quarterbacks. Wide receivers, how about that? $22 million to wide receivers. That's 24th most in the NFL. So the 49ers are spending more at running back, a position that I think most teams are moving away from. They're spending less at wide receiver, at least as it stands currently, and at quarterback. Where are they making up that money? Positions that a lot of teams haven't necessarily forgotten about, but they're kind of just throwing out anyone at tight end. The 49ers spend more money at tight end than anyone else. They spend more money on the defensive line than anybody else. So you're kind of seeing a, a pattern develop here for the 49ers that I think is going against the pattern that other teams around the NFL are following. They're not spending a bunch of money on quarterbacks. Now, I think they would love to if they had a guy that they felt was on the caliber of Mahomes or Burrow or, or Herbert or whoever the, the quarterback is, Josh Allen, all of those guys. But I think they're kind of breaking a trend 
around the rest of the NFL, spending a lot at running back, not as much at wide receiver, spending a lot at tight end, not a ton at quarterback. It's just interesting considering the 49ers are considered to be one of the, the best teams in the NFL, but I don't think they're really following the model set up by other successful teams. Yeah, I think it's interesting also when you consider uh, the fact that, you know, they have essentially two former top five overall picks on their roster at quarterback and yet yeah. are still at that figure, of course, with Trey Lance being one of them and then the addition of Sam Darnold now. But, Mark, as much as I do think that it is not necessarily a better way to do it, more just different kind of zagging where the traditional zig um, that is because of a lack, I think, of a quarterback. And ideally, Brock Purdy is going to sort of reset that hierarchy or whoever. Maybe it's Trey Lance could reset that hierarchy in the near future. But when I look at the rest of the position group, so quarterback, 14th ranked in the NFL, 16.3. Running back, as you mentioned, 15.3, number five in the NFL. Wide receiver, 22 million, number 24. Tight end, 23.6 million, number one. All of those to me, outside of maybe the tight end, are also fairly reflective of the strengths of this team. Now, I think the wide receiver room is a bit skewed based on the fact that Debo Samuel's deal has been restructured, so his cap hit is less than $10 million. It will balloon in the 2024 year to above $22 million. Same thing for Christian McCaffrey, who is slated to, I believe, have a cap hit of around 12 entering this season. They restructured it down to three. That's where it goes from one to five. And, of course, the wide receiver room gets a, a big uh, cushion by Debo Samuel not having the majority of his money being back uh, front-loaded as opposed to back-loaded. I also think that with some of the areas in which they spend their money, mainly the defensive line, they are the number one defensive line in football. Like They put their money where their mouth is, the 49ers do, and it's reflected in the $66.4 million that they spent on their defensive line or will this upcoming year. That is the number one defensive line group in my mind in the NFL, and I don't know if it's particularly close if a guy like Drake Jackson can just give you some sort of balance on the other side of Nick Bosa because obviously the addition of Hargrave supplants um, anything that you're hoping for from Armstead, or I should say aids him. So to me, the defensive line should be paid the highest in the NFL because it is the best in the NFL. I also think with the quarterback room, an area that's less affected by those restructured contracts, 14th to me, Mark, is just about right because there's a lot of question marks in that quarterback room and a top 15 quarterback group in my mind should be good enough to get you to where you want to go, which is deep in the postseason. But I also don't think it's necessarily uh, outlandish to say that the 49ers don't have a perfect room, but it's not a bottom half of the league type QB room. So those two spots, defensive line has been their strength. That's where they spend their money. And it is reflected in the number one group in the NFL, in my opinion, quarterback, would be considered as a whole kind of middle of the pack. And that's the amount of money they spend on it as well. Yeah, 14th uh, most money spent on a quarterback room. And and you consider it's, it's $16.3 million and 6.8% of the, the team's entire spending. Think back to when Jimmy Garoppolo was here. And again, this pulled from the article on The Athletic that David Lombardi wrote. When Jimmy Garoppolo was around, it was about 14% of the team's finances was going to the 49ers quarterback room. So you get out of a contract like that, and now your starting quarterback is being paid 
uh, a seventh round rookie contract in Brock Purdy, and it allows you to do so much else. You can look also where the 49ers are not necessarily cutting costs, but where they are spending less so they can spend more elsewhere. Obviously, the easy answer where they're spending more elsewhere is the defensive line. It's what made Javon Hargrave signing this offseason possible. Um, and a lot of the restructures, I know you mentioned Debo Samuel, that's a big restructure, saving them a gigantic cap hit this year. Same can be said for Fred Warner at the linebacker position. 49ers linebackers cap hit just over 23 million, 19th best in the NFL. That is a wild one, considering the 49ers, I think, have at the very worst, what, a top three linebacking unit in the NFL? You could make the case it's the best linebacking unit in the NFL with Fred Warner and Drake Greenlaw, at least those two. They lost a little bit of depth this offseason, but in terms of starting linebackers, those two are up there. The the way the 49ers maneuvered with the cap hits and pushed them into the future for Fred Warner, that's affecting that. But where there hasn't really been a lot of restructuring, Evan, it's the defensive backs. And the 49ers pay only $23.1 million to their defensive backs. It's, it sounds like a big number, but when you consider you're starting four defensive backs, you have all these extras. You also have a nickel corner. Maybe you're starting five defensive backs at times throughout the year. There's a lot of guys in the defensive back room. The 49ers pay the second least amount to defensive backs across the entire NFL, and that's a whiff. Charvarius Ward, who was a big free agent acquisition a year ago now. So not only, I should have added this on my first point, not only are the 49ers paying less of the quarterback room, which you laid out so perfectly, is understandable given where they are. They're paying less as of right now, a big part of it because of the Debo restructure in the wide receiver room, but they're also paying less defensively to stop the pass when other teams are investing so much more in the pass, in the quarterbacks, in the wide receivers. They're also investing more in their defensive backs to make sure other teams and other star quarterbacks can't get going through the air. The 49ers are really attacking this differently. Now, if they had a, a developed, homegrown cornerback they wanted to keep and hold on to, that number would balloon. When Talanoa Hufanga comes up for a contract extension over the next year or two, that'll be a conversation the 49ers have. I know I've predicted Diamador Lenore. Go Ducks, by the way, if you're watching on YouTube. You can see my shirt. Uh, I know I predicted Diamador Lenore to have a kind of a breakout season coming up. If that happens, maybe that number climbs up right now. But it's just such a stark contrast to what other teams are doing, Evan. The 49ers aren't really spending big in their defensive backfield, in their wide receiver room, despite the fact that they have a lot of talent in those positions, um, which I think is what makes this year, next year, the following year so vital because there will come a time when all these big contracts come due and there won't be nearly as much room for flexibility. So I, I think it just kind of hammers home a point that we've been talking about for the last month or so just how important this season is coming up for San Francisco because they're not going to be able to, to keep up with this level of, of talent and contracts and money due um, like they have the last couple of years. It's only going to last for a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. Well said uh, kind of a, a lot to, to parse through there, Mark, but you know, I think you're, you're spot on about the linebacking core. I mean, Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw were number one and number two respectively in tackles last season. They graded out 
tops among PFF in 2022 as two of the best linebackers in the league. And I think Dre Greenlaw's bargain of a contract, which will continue for the 49ers, is a big reason why. I also think that with the defensive back position, one of the reasons why they don't have to pay that much money is, number one, yes, they haven't been able to groom a, a shutdown corner the way they would have hoped, but also if you have a dominant D-line, you really don't need an incredible secondary to keep guys in front of you. You just need a guy that can simply move a guy off his spot for two to three seconds before someone gets to the quarterback. So I think that's where they can save some money as well. It isn't as if they wouldn't love to have someone that can keep a wide receiver yeah. on an island. It's just Charverius Ward is a great cover corner, although he does have a potential out at the end of 2024 as his cap hit balloons to $17 million next year if he's with San Francisco. Right now, it's at 6.4, so that's a big thing. And then Diamador Lenore, you're hoping, takes a significant step. You are able to bring in you know, a different nickel corner replacing Jimmy Ward uh, to go along with the cheap safety position right now with Deshaun Gibson, as well as Talanoa Hufanga. So that, that defensive back uh, room right now, Mark, is... Sure, underpaid considering what they produce, but I think that again is where everything starts with the emphasis on the defensive line. If you pay significant dollars and are getting all pro production, potentially from three different positions, then you don't really need an incredible secondary. And if you combine that with, like we just discussed, an underrated or undervalued linebacking core that is going to clean up any and all messes should they get past the defensive line, good in coverage, good against the run, uh, then you're then you're cooking with some hot grease right there. And so that's where the 49ers, I think, financially have done a great job of identifying what their strength is going to be and then kind of building all around that the defensive line as their identity. This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network on 95.7 The Game. That is Mark Randy. I'm Evan Giddings. We're coming at you twice a week on the Odyssey app as well as YouTube. Please rate, subscribe to us on the Odyssey app. Subscribe to the 95.7 The Game YouTube channel. All right, Mark. Uh, the, the second thing we wanted to get into today was kind of a, a response, I guess, to uh, East Bend's Lewis Riddick does fantastic work for them. He's been interviewed for front office positions in the past. I believe he's a bright, brilliant football mind. However, on the Rich Eisen show, which is where seeming just randomly, a lot of our content has been coming from recently. A lot of the hot takes around the NFL as it relates to the 49ers have come from there. Uh, but he said that the NFC West is essentially wide open for Seattle to take. And he's very high on the Seahawks this upcoming season, Mark. So the question we pose right here is, is there any threat to the 49ers in the NFC West this season? I do think Rick Riddick is onto something, you know, with the Seahawks being a threat by process of elimination. <laughs> I would not go as far as to say the NFC West is wide open. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. You said it well there. Uh, obviously, I think it's pretty clear the Seattle Seahawks are the second best team in the NFC West. Uh, the the Rams, if things bounce 100% right for them and Stafford stays healthy and Cup stays healthy and Donald plays like a you know defensive player of the year again, who knows? They could be competitive, but it doesn't look good. I couldn't name a single starter on their offensive line right now. Um, they're going to have a terrible offensive line. You can say the same about most of their defense. They're getting rid of anybody. This isn't about the Rams. They're, they're probably not going to be that good. Uh, I oh, think it's not about the Cardinals. Not, not, not even worth mentioning right now. Uh, 
yeah, I'm not even going to dig into that. Um, the, the Seahawks, I have a, a really hard time saying this because of just the, the history of Seahawks and 49ers and, and, and even Pete Carroll going back to his USC days. It's just not an easy team for me to appreciate and enjoy and like. If there wasn't that emotional connection or disconnect, you know, connect emotional in a bad way towards Seattle, Evan, I think I would really, really, really like and really enjoy this Seattle team. Everything they've done, it seems like they're building this team the right way through smart, intelligent drafting, taking a flyer on a, a previously flamed out quarterback in Geno Smith, surrounding him with good weapons. Um, and capitalizing on a quarterback-hungry team like the Denver Broncos, getting rid, being willing to get rid of a franchise centerpiece, a guy who won you a Super Bowl, got you to another, won you multiple conference championships, just about won you and and and, and did everything he possibly could to, to help this franchise win. To be willing to move on from that guy and absolutely fleece a team the way they fleeced the Denver Broncos – it's, it's hard not to applaud that. So all of that said, I really, really enjoy and appreciate what the Seattle Seahawks are doing and what they are building. But at the same time, I think it's also very easy to admit, and I think most people would agree, a lot of things went right for the Seattle Seahawks last year. It doesn't mean they can't go right again. It doesn't mean that they aren't going to improve. Um, Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant, a couple of you know, their, their rookie defensive backs last year were great. All rookie teams in the NFL, and they're probably going to continue to improve. A couple of really good offensive linemen were rookies last year as well. Charles Cross, to name one of them. Um, they have a really, really good group of talented young players that should continue to get better. I know one thing that Lewis Riddick mentioned is Geno Smith. Everyone just assumes, okay, Geno Smith is going to go back to being Geno Smith. He was legitimately an MVP candidate through, what, 12 weeks last year? I mean, you think he's going to repeat that? I'm not saying he's going to go back to New York Jets version Geno Smith, but do you think he's legitimately an MVP candidate again? I don't know about that. It feels like there's probably some slight regression coming for Geno Smith, or at least more of the Geno Smith we saw for the last six weeks of the season last year, as opposed to the first 12-ish weeks of the season. And then you consider, I would argue the 49ers got better. A, a healthy Christian McCaffrey, you hope for an entire season. You would hope a more healthy quarterback room. Javon, Javon Hargrave, who we talked about earlier in the pod as well. It seems like this 49ers team got better. You could argue that Seattle got better as well, but there was a pretty healthy gap between the 49ers and the Seahawks last year. So I just don't see how this is a conference or a division that Seattle is going to win. If by wide open, Lewis Riddick means an eye of a needle, <laughs> then I'll hear him. If not, Mark, I do not see how this division right now is viewed as wide open unless you truly believe that Brock Purdy is either, one, not going to be the quarterback for a significant portion of the season, or two, you don't believe that Brock Purdy is even in the same realm that he was last year. Now, I think there's some regression also coming for Brock Purdy based on the stats that we've laid out in recent weeks, but I don't think it's that steep of a, of a fall-off. I think it's probably a similar fall-off to what we're going to see from Geno Smith, and I don't think he's a 70% completion percentage quarterback. 
I don't think he's a guy that's going to throw up another 30 or 30 plus touchdowns. But where I do see this, the case for the Seahawks is if you're going to argue against the regression of Geno Smith, it would be that he has an incredible cast of wide receivers around him. DK Metcalf is a stud. Tyler Lockett missed, I think, six or seven games last year. So he's a bit banged up, but he's a very efficient, quality veteran wideout. They went out and drafted Jackson Smith Jigba from Ohio State, who is one of college's best wide receivers. So you have a pretty stable wide receiver room around Geno Smith. And then you found a way to shed some of the fat at the running back position as well, identifying that through the draft, getting rid of Penny, Zach Charbonnet. Um, I think that they have a decent cast of characters on offense to support Geno Smith and maybe suppress some of that understandable regression that's coming. I also think that drafting a couple of offensive linemen to pair with some of the ones that they uh, had last year that are up and coming, I think is good. I think they tried to address the defensive line, which was a big reason that their defense was so bad last year, uh, primarily in the in the latter portion of the season. It was just basically just four turnstiles up front, especially if you put the ball on the ground against them, which the San Francisco 49ers did ad nauseum. Yeah. I don't think the 49ers are looking at a clean sweep of the NFC West the way they were last year, uh, going 6-0 and against the division. I think that there's going to be at least one loss in there somewhere. I don't know where it's coming. But if you're telling me that the 49ers are going 5-1, and one, I believe that they're good enough with the rest of their schedule to be able to yeah, find their way into 11, potentially 12 wins. To me, Seattle is not yet that kind of roster. I don't think that it's crazy to think that they could go nine and eight again, maybe even 10 and seven. But to me, that's going to be a little bit short of where I project the 49ers. And that's why I don't think that they're a threat. Yeah. If I had to handicap it right now, I mean, what the, the Niners over under, I don't even have these numbers ahead of, in front of me, but I would guess the Niners over under is what 11 and a half and Seattle's probably eight and a half. And I, I, I would probably say I, I take the over on Seattle. I think they're winners of nine games. They are a quality football team. But again, there's there's levels to this in the NFC West. And again, we can talk about how I think the 49ers improved this offseason. Every single Seahawks fan, as they should, is going to think they're going to be better this year as well. Again, with all of that young talent, it would seem to, to track logically that they should progress. But it's not as if this was a relatively close division last year either, Evan. I mean, the 49ers won this division early in the regular season. They were the second best team in the NFC. They were the best team in the league the last two months of the season, really almost the last three months of the season when they, they hardly lost. They were remarkable. They were incredible. This really wasn't that close between these two last year. I know they played early in the season when Trey Lance went down with the, the ankle injury. Jimmy Garoppolo came in. That was a weird game, but the 49ers still controlled that game, even with the awkwardness of the quarterback room. And then they played in the second half of the season, that Thursday night game in Seattle, Brock Purdy's first road start, his second start of the season. It was that Thursday night game, and, and it was close. It was competitive, but the 49ers won. They ultimately win the conference win the division, but those are were, were kind of two weird games considering the circumstances of the quarterback room and the 49ers still managed to win those games. Then they came out and absolutely dominated the second half against the Seahawks in the postseason. And I think that was not necessarily more of a, a better 
judge of of these two teams than the regular season matchups. But I think you just saw the power of the 49ers offense against that Seattle defense. And again, this isn't to, to say that Seattle is a bad team. I just think there's a relatively large gap that one year of, of youth taking a step forward isn't enough to overcome. So I still feel like this is a, a division where the 49ers are the heavy favorites. And if they don't come out on top, it's a disaster, whether it's because of injuries or just unexpected issues and struggles, whatever the case is, it's a disaster if the 49ers don't win this division. I think that's how, how big the gap is right now. This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Please download the Odyssey app, rate us, subscribe to us there. That's Mark Grandy. I'm Evan Giddings twice a week with you here in the offseason on the 415ers. Uh, the last thing, Mark, that we want to get into is it's kind of a – I don't know, an up-in-the-air definition, but I saw Brian Baldinger on Odyssey's In the Huddle podcast, also very good, would recommend going to check that out on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network, but he is our NFL insider and essentially said that, you know, the 49ers have a chance to do something special this season. Now, I, I know that's kind of a, a blank statement, but what he's getting at is the fact that Baldinger believes that the 49ers have the number one defense in the NFL, which I will absolutely hear him on, and they have an offense that is balanced and one that everyone can eat essentially around Brock Purdy is also assuming that Brock Purdy is going to be, you know, the starting quarterback in week one. But, you know, can it be my, my, my question is, you know, what would be a special season for San Francisco? And then secondly, like, can it be a special season without a Super Bowl? It's a good question because you, you asked the question, what would be special? And my mind immediately goes to winning a Super Bowl. Um, I think the 49ers are at this weird point where they've knocked on the door. They got to the Super Bowl a few years ago, lost, of course, to the Chiefs. Don't don't mean to bring up bad memories. The last two years, they've been back to the NFC Championship game. One absolutely heartbreaking loss, one not as heartbreaking, but still very frustrating considering it was an early game injury to your quarterback. And then you really never felt like you had a chance after that. You've been so close and you've, you've kind of teased your fan base so many times over the last handful of years that it feels like nothing short of a Super Bowl um, would qualify as special because this team, not necessarily this iteration, but this team and this core, I mean, the, the George Kittles and the Fred Warners and the Debo Samuels, they have accomplished almost everything that you could except winning a Super Bowl. Now, getting to the Super Bowl, that would be a great accomplishment. Winning an NFC Championship game would be fantastic. I'm, I'm not saying it wouldn't be. But my mind immediately goes to, well, you got to do the thing that you haven't done yet. And the only thing that this group hasn't done yet is win a Super Bowl. But then there's the flip side where you're being led by a, a seventh-round quarterback who's entering his second year. His first season ended with a UCL injury, and he, he's not really going to have a normal offseason. How could you expect that to be a Super Bowl winner? I'm, I'm kind of balancing those two extremes right now, but I think I got to go with my first instinct, which is I think only winning a Super Bowl makes this a, a special season. There could be special moments, special individual accomplishments, but team-wide, I think you got to win a Super Bowl. I'm kind of with you. I mean, look, I generally don't abide by an expectation of a championship just because even if you are by far and away the best team in the league in whatever sport you're in, 
uh, the probability is stacked against you. Like in the NFL, you got a one in 32 chance. Major League Baseball, NBA, one in 30 chance. Those aren't good odds. So I generally do not believe that one should expect uh, to win it all. Let me ask you this. Was last season for the 49ers special? Hmm. Uh, it's a good question. It yes was or no. yes or no. I think it was. Yes, it yeah. was. And that was coming off an NFC championship yeah. in which the following season, AKA 2022, you were expecting, maybe not expecting, but the definition of a special season would be a Super Bowl. And you just told me that last year was still special without a Super Bowl. Why? Because of an unforeseen seventh round Mr. Irrelevant quarterback. Now, I don't know if the 49ers can necessarily replicate that as you know we're trying to sort of figure this out, but is it outlandish to believe that the 49ers might have another injury at quarterback this year, Mark? Yes, That's or no? certainly possible, yes. So what if Trey Lance or Sam Darnold or, God forbid, but you never know, Brandon Allen comes in off the bench and helps lead this team to another deep postseason run. I'm not saying that that wouldn't, uh, you know, if they fall short, be, you know, disappointing. But the way that football seasons tend to work out, especially in San Francisco, you cannot predict. And it is very difficult on a week-by-week basis to expect anything at this point based on the last couple of years and how they've played out. I do believe this season can be special without a Super Bowl at the end of it because we just saw it because we just saw something that we totally did not believe possible, and yet they still almost got to the final game. I know it may come off and you know sound like I, I don't think the 49ers can win. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But to me, Mark, they can still have a special season without winning at all. Yeah, and it doesn't come off that way. I, I understand completely what you're saying. Um, it, this almost feels like uh, it's not about the, the destination. It's about the journey, like, argument conversation a little bit because if you were just to to pull 49er fans like at different checkpoints throughout the season last year uh like after week one when it's the monsoon loss against chicago and and trey lance doesn't really play like you were hoping or expecting you're like oh you know this guy might not be who we were expecting and then he gets hurt in week two you you pull the 49ers after week two you got the win but garoppolo's back he looked all right but you don't really know how to feel he has that that terrible stinker of a week three in Denver. Where remember he had the safety where he stepped out of the back of the end zone, and there was the whole lip reading gate. Or did he say, you know, Kyle, your plays suck, man, or or whatever it was? There was all of that. Forty Nine er fans at that point are probably thinking like, no chance we win a Super Bowl. This is a dumpster fire. Lance got hurt. We have to watch Garoppolo again. He's struggling. This is going to be bad. And then he starts playing well. I know there were kind of some hiccups for another uh, another few weeks. And then you acquire McCaffrey, and McCaffrey hits the trifecta of touchdowns against the Rams on the road. Niners win that game. They never lost another regular season game. Uh, but then Garoppolo gets hurt, and you you pull fans then. You're like, well, there's, there's really no chance that this could happen again. And then Brock Purdy comes in, and he doesn't lose a regular season game, and this team takes off. So it, you, you, you got a number of different answers is my point if you ask that question at different points through last year. So 100%, there are probably a lot of things that will happen this coming season that we can't 
prepare for, that we can't account for, that will change our perspective on this team. And if there's an injury to a major, major key player, but it just gives way to another future star, similar to how Brock Purdy came into focus last year, sure, that changes the perspective. But if we were to assume, and it's not a safe assumption considering what we saw last year, but if we were to assume that this is a straightforward season, no gigantic season-ending injuries to really key players, maybe you miss a week or two here or there, but you got a full team for the postseason, you're a top three seed in the NFC, I think most fans would say, maybe not in as few words, but it's championship or bust for the 49ers, but you're 100% right. Unforeseen circumstances can 100% change how you feel about a season as it moves along. And that'll wrap it up for this episode of the 415ers podcast. Again, we're coming at you twice a week. We appreciate you listening. If you are listening on July 4th, Independence Day, very happy 4th of July to all of those out there. Please be safe uh, for all you pyromaniacs out there. If anybody's sipping, no driving, you know the rules. And uh, Mark, I look forward to our next episode on Thursday. How about that? Yeah, it should be fun. And uh, don't pull a Jason Pierre-Paul and accidentally blow off a, a digit on 4th of July like he did a few years back. Be safe. Be safe if you're celebrating the 4th. Well said. That'll do it for this episode of the 415ers podcast. Again, please download, rate, subscribe to us on the Odyssey app. Check us out on YouTube on 95.7 The Game's channel. Subscribe to us while you are there. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Enjoy the 4th.